I'm Jill Shaw, and you're listening to Catalyst for Change, brought to you by the Shaw Family Foundation. In each podcast, we talk to inspiring individuals who are using entrepreneurial tactics to make the world a better place. Diversity in Boston's public schools is a much discussed and debated issue. And during this podcast series, we have touched on that subject as it pertains to Boston's exam schools. Today, we are going to hear about Chicago public schools and how Chicago has taken steps to significantly increase the number of black and Latino students at its highest performing schools. We will learn how they did this and the impact of greater diversity on individual student performance from economist Lisa Barrow. Lisa is a senior economist at the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago. Her research focuses on issues in education, public finance, and labor economics. She's worked on a variety of topics in education and has ongoing studies using Chicago Public Schools data to look at the effect of closing persistently failing schools on elementary school students and evaluating student outcomes in high schools. Lisa, thank you for joining me today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. So it was very exciting to have you on this um, on this podcast today. And I'm wondering, just um, to tee things up, can you talk to us a little bit about your role at the Federal Reserve and uh, the work that you ah. do in education <laughs> research? Yeah. So um, usually I get asked, why in the world is someone at the Fed doing research in education? Um, I am in the research department at the Fed, and we're sort of like a economics department at a university, but instead of teaching, we do policy work. And so the Fed is a monetary policy institution. So my policy work within the Fed, you know, contributes to, you know, helping the system make good decisions for uh, monetary policy. But outside of my policy work, you know, I'm free to do research, self-directed research on, um, topics that I'm interested in. And I have primarily focused on education issues since graduate, since getting out of graduate school. So um, I guess they want the best economists to work on the policy side. And to do that, you know, we get to work on our research. So, yeah. so, so obviously, we're particularly focused on the city of Boston and Boston public schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you talk about them comparatively in talks that you give and, and work as you tee up your research. And so can you, can you just talk a little bit about how obviously Boston's smaller, but it, I think it resembles the public school system in Chicago in some ways, especially prior to some of the changes that Chicago's made. And so could you talk about that a little mm-hmm. bit? Um, so I, I am not uh, specifically familiar with the system that Boston, like it, whether Boston had a similar system before mm. we reached what we're doing in Chicago. Right. But Chicago had been under a court-ordered desegregation consent decree for many years. And under that system, you know, they were trying to create more integrated schools. And so they had uh, race-based admissions policies for the selective enrollment schools, which is what we call, what gets called exam schools, I think, in In Boston. Boston, Right. And we're under this very similar circumstances. So it's very parallel so far. Okay. So... um, so in Chicago, before we came to our current system, they, you know, an integrated school was supposed to have between, 
I think it was 15 and 35 percent white, and then the remaining percentage uh, could be any non-white student. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that was the target. They didn't always uh, accomplish that, but but that was the goal. And then once the the um, dissent, uh, consent decree was lifted, they wanted to maintain the diversity, or at least some of the diversity that had been achieved under the race-based admissions policy. And so they developed a policy that was based, that took into consideration socioeconomic status of the neighborhoods students were living in as a way to try to maintain some racial diversity in the selective high schools. Right. And it was interesting. And, and so, and, and that played out over time, right? Cause they, they tweaked the algorithm, I guess you would say. For there, Go ahead. Yeah, there was some, I mean, the only tweaking happened at the very beginning. Okay. So it, the first, um, I think, uh, so the, the 2009 was when they, you know, the consent decree was going away. And so they were working to adopt a new system. And so in 2010, um, they had this tier system in place. Right. Um, the, the tweaking had to do with, you know, part of the seats are set, set aside for the, just the highest performing, regardless of where you, what kind of neighborhood you come from. Mm -hmm. And so they did some, adjustment to that percentage. So I think it, I don't remember I what it was right. initially, but right. they dropped it down a little bit. Right. I and then they also, yeah, I think you're right about that. Yeah. And then, um, I know it's 30 now and I think you're right about 40. Okay. Um, the, uh, the other change was they added a characteristic to, so they, the, measures that they use for creating the index of socioeconomic status, mm -hmm. um, they added an additional characteristic, which, if I remember correctly, it was about uh, language and whether, you know, we're an uh, English-speaking household as the primary language. Yeah, exactly. Because they, the they, they couldn't use race. And so it's, uh, they use... Right. They cannot use race. Right, right, right. <laughs> So they use these other characteristics, which are correlated with race, right. but, you know, don't, ex they can't exactly replicate what you would get if you had race-based admissions, but they get closer to, um, closer to that than if you just did it based on a test score. Right, exactly. And when, and when they did this, so they, so they created these tiers, tiers one through four based on mm -hmm. income and language spoken at home and uh, I think share of home ownership, single parent uh, households. Yeah. And so as they did this and, and then shifting back to the equivalent of exam schools here, the selective enrollment schools, did that, did that change the number of black and Latino students? Did it change the, the uh, diversity the in, in those schools? Yeah. So initially there weren't, there weren't big initial changes mm -hmm. in the schools. Um, there have been changes as the system, has, as time has gone on. It's a little bit hard to tell how much is due to the new system and how much is due to factors like the district open more schools and the, 
you know, the city is a big footprint. So opening schools in neighborhoods that um, are more black or Latino, you know, might draw students away from schools that they would have applied to under the, under the, you know, smaller group of schools because transportation would take a long time to get there. And then it's also the case that the, the black African-American population in Chicago has been declining as a percentage of the population and the Latino population has been increasing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, disentangling all of those factors is, it's hard to know, you know, what, how much of the changes at individual schools is based on some of the demographic changes in the district and the location of schools. Although, although like looking at the demographics of the selective enrollment schools in Chicago, they're significantly more diverse. If you look at diversity in terms of the ratio of black and Latino students, then, then if you look at New York exam schools or Boston exam schools. Right. Yeah. Um, And and so, I mean, it does appear that, you know, just kind of in a statement in and to itself, you, you can do things to change the algorithm that change the diversity of a student population. Yeah, absolutely. And so then the question is, okay, actually, I want to go back to one thing you said before I get to the next question. You, you talked about how Chicago was opening, or is opening, maybe still, more schools. Um, but in your research, mm-hmm. you also talk about how there's a declining overall student population in the public school system. Is oh, that, yeah. So yeah. why open more schools? Like, what what's going on there? And are they also <laughs> closing schools? Or <laughs> um. So there hasn't been much closing at the high school level. Okay. There was a massive, massive 50 school closing in of elementary schools that was very, um, very traumatic to families, I think, and mm. um, was created, you know, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of, discussion around whether that was the right thing and which schools should be closed. At the high school level, there hasn't been a lot of closing of schools. There are some, some schools that have been phased out where they, you know, built a new high school for the area. Mm -hmm. Um, Some schools decided to close because they had such small uh, enrollment that they mm-hmm. couldn't really support a comprehensive high school education. They thought it was better for kids to go somewhere else. Right. Um, so there has been a, a little bit of closing, but yes, they're adding schools at a time when, in part, they're adding schools at a time when the population is declining. But I should say that um, like one of the recent additions is actually a conversion. So that isn't specifically add, adding capacity overall to the district. Okay, understood. And it, it was it just part of the strategy to try different types of schools or different add schools in neighborhoods that didn't have schools? Part of it is adding schools in neighborhoods that didn't have yeah. uh, programs like this. Uh, the, the selectives are very popular, so um, I think, you know, Alderman probably... Um, lobby for uh, for schools coming closer closer to their neighborhoods, and um, a feel that you know there's excess demand for these schools, and maybe that they 
keep people in the city rather than relocating to the suburb. Sure, that makes I'm sense. speculating there, but yeah, yeah, no, uh, yeah, absolutely. So, so t- can you tell me a little bit about the selective enrollment high schools in particular? What what do they use now for admissions? And did that change as they were cha- you know adding this tiered system for calculating? Right. Yeah. How does how does so that work? They, so they use um, an application points based system where they, you know, the first, the highest scoring students are placed in their, you know, first choice schools and then they fill the seats as they go down in um, application score. And the application score is based on three components, uh, one being the, the grades and core courses mm-hmm. in seventh grade, one being the seventh grade um standardized test that's taken for accountability purposes and one being a selective enrollment test. So they each component gets a third of the weight in this points-based system. Okay. And so they were using the same type of system before, although there was a time when attendance rates were, had a small, um, small role in there, but they, I think they got rid of that the year of the wine flu <laughs> because it seemed like a bad incentive to keep kids in school when they were sick. Yeah. That's a good point. And, and, and then, <laughs> and then how do the, okay, so that's, I mean, that's similar to our exam schools. Um, yeah. Although we only do one, we don't use the standardized test that's given in schools. We only use the IC. Right. Do, do they use the IC as their selective enrollment test or do they use a different test? They use a different test they don't actually tell you what the test is. So, you know, they, they, you know that there are components like reading, vocabulary, um, math, word problems. Uh, seems like there's something else I'm not thinking of, but they don't, you know, what the exact test is, is not revealed. And they try very hard to keep it sort of secret. Okay. And yet does it, here, as you're preparing for the IC test, we, we definitely have this, um, there's a separation of kids whose parents are compelled to tutor them and, you know, pay for tutors and additional classes. Oh, yeah. for, okay, so that same thing sort of nets out. The same Chicago thing State. happens. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the same thing happens in Chicago. There are uh, different organizations that, you know, advertise on how hard the schools are to get into and providing various models of, you know, from one-on-one tutoring to classes that you can take with groups. But generally they cost money. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, And and, and then how does the tiering system play into the overall admissions process? Because that's the fourth factor, right? Right. Okay. And how how does that work? So the... The district sets aside 30% of the seats in each school that go simply to the highest scoring students. And then after those seats are filled, they look at conditional on your tier. They, so they, the remaining seats are 70% are equally divided between the four tiers. So they're reserving seats for each tier. Hmm. And then, so they look at your tier and your score to figure out whether they can offer you a seat in your first choice and then they move down, you know, your, to the second choice and, and so on. Um, so 
that way they create some diversity. Certainly, you know, it's the goal is, the goal is to create some racial diversity, but also, you know, there's some presumably uh, economic diversity that comes from the tier system as well. And it, so then it must also look more diverse from a student performance perspective, just as calculated by, by it, tests and grades. Yeah. So in terms of like the cutoffs for each tier, so tier four is the high SES neighborhoods and tier one is the low SES mm-hmm. neighborhoods. And so for many schools, there is the, the cutoff for tier four students will be higher than the cutoff for tier one students. Mm-hmm. It does vary across individual schools in some of you know the most competitive schools to get into would have relatively small ranges. Some of them have bigger ranges. Uh, Some of the less competitive schools are more equal across tiers also. So it varies some, but on average, the cutoff is higher for tier four than tier one. Out of curiosity, what percentage of students overall in Chicago are in a, um, in a selective enrollment a school? A selective school? Yeah. It's about 15%. 15% of overall. So, yeah. so, so you still have pretty high-performing kids in all of these schools. Yes. Yeah. No, all of, the, all of the students are high-performing. Yeah. They also set a minimum threshold. So you, you have to score above um, 600. So it's a 900-point scale. You have to score above 600 to be eligible. Um, so lots of students apply and then aren't eligible some are not eligible because they don't end up taking the test, but mm-hmm. some are not eligible because they don't have high enough grades and test scores to meet the minimum cutoff. Okay, interesting. So, and and as Chicago is rethinking its selective schools, did it rethink its school system in any other ways as well? One of the one of the big pressures here, one of the I guess points of view is that if we were rethinking our lowest performing. Um, uh, elementary schools, we might see a difference in um, the the number of kids uh, who were ready to excel yeah. in an exam school. Um, I so I don't know that the district has specifically targeted elementary school performance as a way to ensure more students are eligible and prepared to go to a selective high school, they're under No Child Left Behind. There was some, you know, uh, there were some seats that sort of got filled by students who were coming from relatively lower performing high schools, or I mean elementary schools, but were high performing within that school. And I remember at the time there were some articles about these students and how, you know, they were coming in underprepared for compared to their peers because their elementary school was not offering, say, as high a level of math program right. as where other students were coming from. Right. But I don't know that they, there are policies that have been specifically directed toward elementary schools with an eye toward uh, improving students' ability to get into selective. Okay. All right. So really, really, these the changes were just about um, maintaining diversity given a new set of obligations 
that they had had to yeah. adhere to. And and so then yeah. your your work, some of your work has been to go very deeply into these schools and to understand what's working, what's not working. What what have you found? So, uh, so my co-author and I really, so we were interested in this because of this change in admissions policy, but we also were familiar with the research from Boston and New York City where um, they found that students who were ad- admitted to these programs, these elite high schools, didn't actually perform any better in terms of test scores, and they weren't more likely to go to college. And in fact, like one of the best-known papers on this is called, the t- beginning of the title is The Elite Illusion, mm. um, and, and pointing out that you know these schools look really good in part because, you know, they have high achieving students because they select on achievement. So, you know, the students were already high achieving right. and they're still high achieving, but that, you know, the school wasn't actually creating, to, contributing to that high achievement or not higher achievement than where they were going in Boston public schools instead. It was just perpetuating it. And yeah. yeah. And so, um, uh, so in, terms of Chicago, we thought, well, it has to matter in Chicago because we thought that, you know, once you create this socioeconomic, admitting kids in part based on where they're coming from in the city in terms of socioeconomic status, we thought, you know, kids, students coming from lower income neighborhoods might have, um, their outside option, like their the high school that they would go to if they didn't get into a selective might be not as strong academically. And we have some evidence that, you know, if you look at high achieving students in Chicago, that they're going to the high achieving students from low income neighborhoods are going to, you know, lower, uh, lower quality high schools if you measure quality based on, say, test score growth. Yeah, yeah. And so so we thought, you know, from these students it might matter. Or if you think about students from higher income neighborhoods, you know, maybe they can, if they if it's the case that their outside options are less, are lower quality high schools, they could offset that in terms of financial investments. You know, right. they could hire tutors or outside school activities. Um, so we thought it had to be different. And so we did this research where we, we can compare sort of students within tier who just get admitted to a selective enrollment high school versus um, students who are very similar but just don't get in. So the, the idea being around the cutoff, it, there's a little bit of randomness determining whether you're just one point above, say, or one point below mm, the cutoff. Right. And so within tier, we could compare these students. And um, what we found is very similar to New York and Boston. We didn't find, they don't raise test scores. They don't make it more likely to go to college. They're all high achieving students and they continue to be high achieving. What we did find, we looked at some other outcomes for these students. And uh, namely, we looked at GPA we looked at high school GPA. We looked at whether they enrolled in a selective college after high school. And um, also we have some survey 
data in Chicago that we, you know, kind of um, could reflect the climate of the high school, how they felt about their peers and teachers and safety and things like this. And so what we found was that, and not surprisingly, that if you get it, just get into one of these selective high schools versus just don't, your GPA is going to be lower than than otherwise. And, and this makes sense if you think of GPA in, in part reflecting a relative position in the school. So if you just get in, you're going to be, you know, have had lower prior achievement than students who, you know, are way above the cutoff. Right. And so, so we see this negative effect on GPA. Mm-hmm. We also see in, uh, that students who just get admitted are less likely to go to a selective college. And by selective, you know, University of Illinois is selective. We're not talking about Harvard as the selective. I mean, that's in there, but you know, that's, that's not what we mean by a selective college. Right. And, but we did find these positive outcomes, positive outcomes on how students viewed the, you know, their, their, uh, relationships with peers and their safety in terms of like bullying, so less bullying in their schools. And so in terms of, you know, how we think about these different outcomes, we, as I mentioned, we think the GPA outcome makes sense. Mm-hmm. The, it does, it is a bigger negative effect for students from the lower SES neighborhoods than it is for the students from the higher SES neighborhoods, and that sort of fits with this fact that the higher um, the cutoffs tend to be higher for students from the high SES neighborhoods than the students from the low SES neighborhoods. Right. Um, and then when you think about if it doesn't have any effect on your test scores, but it does lower your GPA, you might think that from a college admissions perspective. They say, well, you know, same test score, higher GPA, I'm going to take the student with a higher GPA. Right, right. Um, and so so we don't really know, like, we don't have a lot of information about what's actually causing this um, decline in enrollment at selective colleges. It could be they're not getting in. It could be they're missing, like, um, scholarship cutoffs for GPA. Uh, they are applying that, to them, though. Well, that's see, we don't know. We they don't, could okay. it could be they're not applying. Right. It could be they're not applying because they don't think they're getting in. It could be they're not applying because counselors are advising them. We're hoping to get more into that black box. Mm. By we have a current um, grant proposal to look to use the Naviance data yeah. in Chicago public schools to try to distinguish what is going on there. Um, so. We hope to get more at that question, but uh, right now we we can't tell you what the answer is. So this is, it's so interesting though that it's, the story is that because you could no longer in Chicago allocate by race, they created a tiered mm-hmm. system that was much more had had many more facets to it, um, and it it ended up with a, a fairly robust diverse population within selective mm-hmm. schools. Then you look at kids who are at the low in the lower tiers of um, in terms of neighborhoods in in population, and mm-hmm. their GPAs go down, or they're not they're not as high as uh, comparatively to to other students in higher income brackets, and um, mm-hmm. and they don't necessarily they're not going to selective colleges, and yet they feel safer 
in those schools yeah. and their peer relationships yeah. are better. And so I was yeah. reading an article in Education Week where you were quoted as saying um, that the question is, should we be investing money and effort in pr- improving these types of schools or investing in improving the climate in all schools? And, and right. it, it is curious to me because there, and, and, the, and so there's two different things to discuss here. One is your question and what, what your point of view is on that. Um, and the other is there's obviously some other things going on that can't only be solved within the schools that have to do with um, GPA, selective colleges, and just even like the propensity, like where kids are desiring to go to school most and why, right. which are much more kind of community-based questions yeah. potentially. I, I don't know. So yeah. what, what, but, but let's tackle the first question, your question first. Where, where do you think we should be investing in our schools? Well, I, I do think investing in climate in all high schools is probably a good thing that we should be doing. Climate um, meaning culture? You know, culture, you know, safety. Students should, be, should feel safe within their schools in their classrooms, in the hallways, you know, that, that is something I think Mm -hmm. all students should feel. And so the fact that there are differences suggests that, you know, maybe we'd need to be doing more in schools that don't, where students don't feel quite as secure. I think that, you know, in terms of the selective schools, you might think that, you know, I've heard people say they treat all students the same. You know, they get there, they treat them all the same. But maybe students that are coming from these more, you know, less advantaged backgrounds could use a little bit more support. We know that they go to elementary schools that don't look as strong in terms of test score growth. And so, you know, maybe they need a little bit more in terms of supports. You know, they may need more help navigating the system and then students come from higher higher income neighborhoods that have parents that are, you know, helping or at least have more knowledge about how to navigate these process, processes. So it's I think it could be two both that needs to happen in mm-hmm. terms of um, maybe helping the students from lower income communities succeed in the high schools and improving climate at all other high schools. Right. Uh, you know, part of why, part of why presumably that it doesn't matter for whether you go to a selective or not in terms of things like test scores is that there are lots of other good programs in the city. And so just because you don't go to a selective, maybe you go to a very excellent international baccalaureate program or, you know, a pre-law program or engineering. So there are other programs that students are are attending that, you know, arguably are doing a good job too right. academically. And you talked about that in one of your studies. You talked about how there it wasn't necessarily just those students and families who were economically advantaged who were making choices about school. But in fact, even some families in the lowest um, uh, wealth brackets um, and neighborhoods are are vigorously looking for the the right schools for their kids. And they just, their option set seems to be different, which I wonder, is that more a marketing question than 
you know, than anything else. Like, mm-hmm. are, do you tend to go to the schools that your friends and family are saying are the best schools as opposed to those that, you know, someone else yeah. deems to be the best schools? Yeah. I mean, there, I think there very well could be some of that. The, um, so, uh, Chicago recently for all the other choice programs, which is basically every program that's not a selective program, they adopted a universal enrollment mm-hmm. system. Mm-hmm. And so one of the, some people within CPS have expressed frustration that people hold views on high schools that existed maybe when they went to high school and the programs have completely changed. And so getting people to um, understand, you know, sort of marketing these schools to say, hey, come in the door. This isn't the school that you went to 30 years ago right. or that you knew about 30 years ago, right? Because, right. I mean, I- I'm from a town that had two high schools. A third opened up while I was there. You know, there was a Catholic high school. I definitely have, you know, some sort of impressions of those high schools from when I was there. And that was a long time ago. Um, and they may be completely different today. And so, um, so yes, that is part of it. Um, you know, some students are willing to travel a lot further to high school to, to make a choice. Um, you know, we find that African-American students are traveling a lot further than Latino or white students. Um, hmm. and, and some, you know, some of that may be driven by where the schools are relative to where they live. Um, some of it may be, you know, white families aren't willing, maybe not willing to integrate schools that are further away. You know, maybe we know right. they're more likely to attend private high schools. So, right. right. Um, yeah. So there is, I mean, roughly 75% of high school students in Chicago or first time ninth grade students attend a high school that is not their neighborhood high school. So mm-hmm. students still have a neighborhood high school in Chicago, but lots of students are exercising choice. They're opting to go somewhere else. And, and yeah. um, I'm curious if, if you have considered or looked at the notion of rigor um, in schools and, and expectations, you know, I've definitely seen research that shows that the expectations of, of teachers are, are the single, single biggest, um, have the single biggest impact on a student's performance. And so uh, have you looked at that at all within the Chicago public school systems? And, um, is there, is yeah, go ahead. So I haven't specifically looked at that. I mean, first of all, I would point out, I think your, where your fan, who your family is, is probably having a bitter, bigger impact on the expectations of the teachers overall. Mm-hmm. But within the schools, yes, I I can believe that teacher expectations certainly matter. Um, and but I don't specifically know about relative to other factors. Um, I was get, oh the one thing I will say is there is a recent study out by some of the same authors of the elite illusion work in Boston, where they look at the um, Chicago public schools and why it is that students who get into the selectives aren't doing as well, particularly, you know, aren't as likely to go to a selective college, particularly at the 
lower SES neighborhoods. Yeah. And their view is it's the because the selectives are diverting students who would go to the noble um, charter schools and that those charter schools are very focused on college, you know, college test scores for college, college placements, you know, getting kids enrolled in college. And so their findings suggest that these students would otherwise go to the noble, one of the noble schools Mm -hmm. and the reason, and instead they go to the selective schools and it's making them worse off than if they had gone to the noble high schools. But the noble high, so, high schools, would you say those, do you, would you consider those less rigorous and therefore they would have gotten higher grades in the no, school? No, I think they, their, their argument, I think would be that they're actually more rigorous and they're, you know, they're pushing co- college preparedness more. I mean, I think it, ah, you know, okay. could be, it could be this argument that maybe the students in the selectives that are coming from lower income neighborhoods maybe need more support right. navigating the school and and doing well, whereas the noble um, charter, so they have multiple high schools throughout the city. Mm-hmm. And because their student body is disproportionately going to be from lower SES neighborhoods, or it is disproportionately from lower SES neighborhoods, they may be providing the supports those students need more so than the selective. So I don't, I would, you know, I wouldn't argue that they are less rigorous and they could potentially be more rigorous. Um, you know, I, I don't know how we would measure that. Yeah, but, no, it just speaks more to, I think you're speaking more to expectations. The expectations mm-hmm. are that we're yeah, going to prepare you for college yeah. and you're going to get yeah. into a selective school, then kids are yeah. more likely to, to yeah. follow suit, especially if they're bought into and enroll in those schools in the first place. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and um, just going back to the enrollment piece of this into selective schools now, um, what is are there other things just kind of based on on the way that you're looking at the world through through the diagnoses that you've given the school system are there things that should be happening within the cities and communities especially of the tier what would it be tier, tier 3 and 4 is that the the lower parts of the no tier 1 and 2 the are tier, the lower okay so the tier 1 and 2 um, parts of the community are there other things that cities should be doing in those communities that might help to support kids being successful in the selective schools or schools that yeah. are as rigorous as the selective schools? Well, I think one could argue that um, impo- improving the strength of academics in the elementary school certainly uh, should contribute to preparing them to be more successful. I think I mentioned that I had read some articles early on with the students who were given access to selectives through the No Child, Child Left Behind policy. And I remember some of them describing how lost they were in the math class because they just didn't have a strong math class in elementary school. They hadn't seen some of these things that was just expected that that students would come in with. Right. And so, you know, I think there there is an argument for investing in the schools, you know, that are 
predominantly serving students in lower SES parts of the city. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so I'm curious now, um, what, well, what is, so what's your, what's your next work going to be on? <laughs> so hopefully we're going to do some work, um, get access to the Naviance data in Chicago and try to tease out more about what's happening in terms of the selective college enrollment. Um, we also are interested, so the part of the implementation of, or the, part of what they're using Naviance for is uh, there's a new requirement in Chicago called Learn, Plan, Succeed mm-hmm. that says that high school students, in order to graduate, need a plan of what they're doing after high school. And it could be going to college. It could be, you know, going into some apprenticeship program. It could be taking a gap year. It could be employment. And so, you know, um, one of the things we were interested in is how that's that system could help make up for, you know, some schools may be under-resourced in terms of counseling per student or in particularly in neighborhoods where you might think more first-generation college students or, you know, just um, maybe, you know, less networking outside of their community or something like that. You know, if they're more dependent on counselors for information, maybe access to this um, this computer system can help offset some of that gap. Kind of a nav- um, na- some then, sort of navigation for kids who don't right, have this natural like, navigation. Mean, and and sort of alleviate some of the demands maybe on the time, you know, if counselors don't have the time to mm-hmm. focus enough on individual students, if this helps them sort of helps the students navigate the process, helps the counselor to help the students because they can monitor things from a more aggregate level. Um, So, you know, we're interested in that. Um, We also have spent some time on GoCPS is this new platform that Chicago Public Schools is using for their universal enrollment for high school choice programs. And we did some initial work looking at applications, enrollments, and um, uh, offers from the system. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're interested in whether this system has benefits in the longer term for students um, in terms of maybe they get a better match in terms of programs because they there's information is all on a single platform so they can learn about there are almost 300 high school programs across the city even though they're somewhere in the 130 high schools in terms of like a a regular high school program that most first-time freshmen would be enrolling in right there's 300 high high school programs for how many kids how many kids are in high school uh I think there are roughly like 105,000 overall okay. from 9 to 12. Okay. Um, uh, but it's their house. So some high schools have multiple programs. Some some just have a general education program. But right. um, others, there's one high school that has like 13 different programs. But um, that's 
that's a bit unusual. Wow, that's amazing. So, so last question. If you, as an economist, if you were to propose an experiment, you could do anything you wanted mm-hmm. to try to move the needle on um, equity in outcomes for all students across an urban district like Chicago or Boston, what, what would the experiment be? <laughs> that is a very interesting question. Um, well, I think, so if you could, maybe if you could assign people to their residential neighborhood, uh-huh. like so that you got integrated. So Chicago is a highly segregated city right. by neighborhood. And so it might, it might be interesting to see if you could integrate neighborhoods fully, then, you know, maybe you have better investment in all neighborhoods Mm -hmm. and raise the, you know, the quality of the schooling everywhere. I think that could be an interesting experiment. I don't know that people would actually, so when we do experiments, we talk about um, whether someone complies with the experiment. Right. And so it might be pretty hard to get people <laughs> to actually stay there. Right, right, <laughs> but right. if you could, <laughs> it might be a very interesting experiment. Yeah, it's so interesting. It's so interesting. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your time today. We appreciate You're welcome. it. Um, and uh, we'll keep following your work. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much. It was good to talk to you. All right. You too. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Lisa Barrow from the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago. Chicago has certainly shown us, it seems, that there is a calculus that can result in a more diverse student population, at least in its high-performing high schools. Perhaps Boston should consider this. It's a question that deserves discussion, and then there are deeper questions we need to ask about what other supports our communities and low-performing schools need so that all students feel safe, confident, and academically challenged. I hope that you enjoyed today's podcast, and if you did, please feel free to like it and share it with your friends. Thanks for listening.